fueling your body, achilo gaso. I'm always in awe when it happens, as it does this particular year, that there's a complete intersection between two things that one happens to be focused on on that particular day. And our example here is we're in the middle of, of Yevamot and we're t- dealing with these complicated permutations and scenarios of family relationships and we're deeply in the, the halachot of, uh, of, of, Yevamos, of Yevamot and all of a sudden, on the first day of Pesach this year, we have a a daf of Gomorrah in which Pesach appears. Uh, and when that happens, I always feel it's important for us to focus on it and to notice what is it that is redrawing, that our attention is being drawn to in this particular matter. So here we're talking about a Bryce that starts at the bottom of the previous uh, daf, daf Lamatetamud Bez, Tan Rabbon, we had a brighter, Yevamaya Voaleha Mitzvah, this that the Torah says, her Yavam should have relations with her, should come to her, that's a mitzvah. Why does it tell me that it's a mitzvah? Surely if a Torah tells me this is what has to be done, why, why do I need to be told that this is a mitzvah? This is a case, case where this young woman, before anybody married her, she could have married any one of the brothers. Nesra, uh, then she becomes forbidden to all the brothers except the one who married her. So Reuven marries Rachel. At that point, Rachel is now forbidden to any of the other brothers of Reuven. But then Reuven dies, and she now once again becomes mutar. She becomes permissible to Reuven's brothers. I might think that she can come back into the same status that she had before, that she's exactly the same as she was before. She's as permitted as she was before she first married Reuven. That's why we're taught, no, the Yevamah must come to her as a mitzvah. Um, which means, as, as Abba Shaul explained it, it means that where previously he can marry her for whatever reason he wants to. Uh, they can get married because they find each other attractive. They can get married because they want to have children together. They can get married because they fell in love. Who knows, whatever reason it is, it's fine. But when it comes to, Yiva, uh, to Yibum, there has to be one reason for which it's being done, and that's mitzvah. Says the Gemara, then Eimaresha, mitzvah tochal b'machum kadosh mitzvah, Let's read the first part of that very same bright and see, does it work parallelly? Because there we're given the case of where a korban mincha is being brought, that's a flower offering, uh, then it may, may, must be eaten in a holy place, and that means as a mitzvah. This flower that was brought as a korban, before it was even dedicated for the purposes of a korban, was ordinary flower and was permissible to anybody under any circumstance. Then it became Nesra, then it's been made hectic, it's been set aside for a korban, and can be no longer eaten by anybody. But after the Kohen has done the comets, after the Kohen has, has plucked from the flower and put it in the, as part of the korban, it becomes permitted to the Kohen. I might think that it's just the same as it was before, it's that same status of permissibility as it was before it was even dedicated as a korban. It must be eaten as matzah in a holy place, mitzvah, as a mitzvah. Here, where do we find two ways of doing it? In the case of Yibim, we could say we're told it's a mitzvah because he needs to come to her as a mitzvah and not for any other reason. But here, what does it mean, mitzvah? 
And if you want to say there are two ways to eat, you can eat in a way that you enjoy what you're eating, or you can eat in a way where you don't, you're not hungry at all and you don't enjoy it at all. And maybe that's what it means. Mitzvah, you've got to eat it the way a mitzvah should be eaten. Achilles is the Gemara, but it can't be that because in an amazing statement that is the, the Gemara says, Achilagasa, eating in a coarse way. And that means eating when you don't need to eat, eating when you have no desire to eat, just forcing yourself to eat more. Mishma Achilles, is that even called eating? That's not halachically considered eating. It goes so far as if you ate a lot of food just before Yom Kippur and you're completely full and the sun goes down and now it's Yom Kippur and you eat on Yom Kippur but you're full, you don't really want the food at all, you have no desire and taste in it. Then you have not, you have not been transgressed the prohibition of Lotuneh. Lo tu'uneh is a, a, a verse in the Torah, and vayikra ki kol nefesh asher lo tu'uneh be'etzim ayom hazeh. Any individual who does not afflict himself on this day, v'nichrita me'ameh will have karet. And that's the source of the mitzvah of fasting on Yom Kippur, because you've got to afflict yourself, and with Chazal tell us, that's the affliction that the Torah is talking about. And and here, if he eats achilai gasan, an amazing concept, isn't it? That you can actually eat on Yom Kippur, not, not you can, but if one actually ate on Yom Kippur, under conditions of achilai gasan, where you had no appetite for that food at all that you were eating, then it's not law to an air then you have not transgressed the Avera. Explains Rashi, why is this not law to Rashi. Because this eating is also inui, this is affliction. That's an amazing idea. And Rashi, if you eat when you don't need or desire the food, it's actually damaging. And it's like fasting. It's also a form of inui, you damaging your, your physiology, you're damaging yourself. It's true that when you don't eat, when you fast, in a sense, that's, that's Inui. But the Torah tells us, and if you're doing an Inui, which the Torah tells us, and you're being Mekayim Devar Hashem, you're fulfilling Hashem's word, then there's not going to be damage through that prohibition, through that affliction of fasting on Yom Kippur. But if you afflict your body in a way that you're not obligated to, if Hashem, it's not that Hashem told you to afflict it. You're just damaging your body altogether. That's called inu. That's called self-affliction. And therefore, a person who eats on the moment Yom Kippur comes in and the conditions of Achille Gasa, where he's already full and has no appetite, that's actually called inu. That's actually called affliction and he's not transgressing the Avera. Uh, Tosfus on our, our Tosfus asks a, a question that uh, we see in the Gemara Nazir that if a person eats achilogasa when he's not allowed to eat, we're talking there about a, a korban pesach. Here we get into the matters of pesach. Um, that that if one eats achilogasa, it's not it's not ideal. And the Tosfus says Alma, we we see we see that the tarvayu nafki. Whether you eat achilagasa or you don't, both of you have fulfilled the mitzvah of the korban pesach. Um, but it, why is that even called achila? Is that even called eating? There are really two different forms of achilagasa. Again, achilagasa meaning eating without an appetite because you've had your fill already. Uh, Tosfos doesn't explain it here, but in, um, in Psochim, Davkuf Yudzayin, he does, because we have a similar law there that you're not allowed to eat 
on Pesach afternoon, back to the laws of Pesach, um, and the Gemara is discussing when exactly part of the reason is so that the matzah should not be uh, achila gasa, or the korban Pesach should not be eaten in a form of achila gasa. And there Rabbi Te- Rabbeinu Tam explains, the tray gavni achila gasa, there are two forms of achila gasa, Achat, the one form is The one form of is you actually don't want to, you're actually repelled by food, you are so full. And if you eat under those conditions on Yom Kippur, you you're not hungry, you don't need food. From a nutritional perspective, you're fully satisfied. But there's something delicious, there's something that tastes good, and you would enjoy the taste even though you wouldn't enjoy the actual consumption. And the idea that the korban Pesach has to be eaten, in our case, the afikoman, al hasova, where you're already satisfied, is that not achilai gasa? Says Tosfot, no. So explains Rabbi Nutam. You've still got to enjoy the taste of the matzah, if you can imagine that being possible, or in the case of the Korban Pesach, at least that's a barbecue and very tasty. So even though you've eaten already, you've had your matzah and your maro, nevertheless, you can then have your Korban Pesach with a sense of appetite and, and it's okay, but not to be in a situation where you don't want to eat at all. One must be careful with the Korban, with the Hafikoman, that you're not in a situation where you don't want to eat at all, where you're feeling completely satiated. And that law is, is Paskin in Shulchan Aruch, in Hilchus Yom Kippur, Tafresh Yud Bet, um, <laughs> if one ate achila gasa on Yom Kippur, kigon miyada Yom Kippur, in your fast taking on meal, the meal just before the, the Sudam of Sekis, before Yom Kippur, you ate to your full, and then Yom Kippur comes in and you eat a little bit more, patur, you're not going to be punished for that because that's not considered eating. However, says the Ramo, if what you ate was delicious, it had great taste, so that even though you didn't get any benefit from the consumption of the actual food, from the calories, but you did enjoy the taste. And such achilo you are And the Morgan Avrom explains that it depends, each person according to themselves is quite a subjective way of judging whether this was food that gave me benefit, either in terms of its nutritional value, or because I was hungry, or because I just enjoyed the taste. But what we do see here is that the, one can eat and get no benefit from it. That's not called achila because it's not fueling oneself. The idea of ochil is to fuel. When we've got the case with the burning bush with the snare, and, the, and the Moshe notices and he says, sees that the bush was burning and was not ukal from the word achal, which means consumed as fuel. It's the same as achilat mizbeach. We talk about the, the mizbeach, the, the altar eats, it consumes the sacrifice that is put on it. And that consumption is fueling. And uh, both those cases are cases of fire, aren't they? The case of the, of the mizbeach, of the altar, and the case of the snare, of the burning bush. Both of them we're talking about, about consumption. We're talking about fueling. So when a person eats his eating, you're fueling your body. And to have that mindset is so much more healthy. Do I, does my body need fueling? And, and the fueling of the body is what achilo is. If you're eating and it doesn't fuel the body, in fact, it damages the body because your body is fully fueled already and the extra eating that you're doing now is not constructive at all. That's called inu, explains Rashi. You're afflicting yourself. However, the interesting thing we see in the, in the Ramor, based on Rabbi Nutam, is that if you are able to enjoy the flavor of the food, 
there is fueling in that as well. That food, that the the pleasure of food or the nutrition of food is not just from the uh, calorie intake. And there's another element. There is a more spiritual element of the human being being fueled by what he consumes. And that's the flavors and the aromas, the fragrances of the food. And if one takes one's time and one enjoys that, then one is able to be nourished by that as well. And that also means one wouldn't eat as much. It's quite interesting if one looks at the ways of eating in, in, in places like France and Belgium, people who are really expert in the preparation and consumption of food, the portions are small, but they're delicious and they're presented beautifully because the body can be sustained and nourished even by spiritual things, by non-physical things, such as the flavors of the food, fragrances of the food, and the appearance of the food. And uh, we see that going even further. If the human being, and, and the Kabbalah has talked about that if the, depending on the fineness of the soul of the person, if, the, if a person's soul is very unrefined, then they need unrefined nourishment, which is physical food. Uh, if the soul is more refined, then they can get a lot of nourishment from non-physical food. And if the soul is really spiritual, they can get refinement from, they can get nourishment from spiritual food, as the, the Torah tells us in Ekev. Hashem says, I made you hungry, and then I gave you mon, which wasn't real food. And you saw that that, that eased your hunger, that nourished you. And that's to teach you, a true Adam, a true great human being, doesn't need only bread. Because he can live and be nourished by anything that Hashem brings to him. And so through Divrei Torah, through study and through learning as well, it's possible for the person to find nourishment. We can find nourishment just as we can find nourishment in taste. And in flavor, as Rabbi Nutan teaches us, so we can even find nourishment in a beautiful idea, in a beautiful item to look at, in a thought to think about, and certainly in Divrei Torah to nourish our souls. And that really is the whole principle that Viktor Frankl discovers in the concentration camps and talks about in many of his works, but certainly in Man's Search for Meaning, uh, that he discovered that human beings' survival was not correlated to the number of calories they, they took in necessarily. Um, it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it's quite amazing because if you think of the amount of calories they had, it wasn't even possible to sustain and therefore people died. But Viktor Frankl noticed that the people who did, who did something with their lives, even under those circumstances, people who had something bigger to live for, were able to survive and nourish themselves in ways that others weren't. And I often talk about... Um, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Blumenthal in Cape Town, who recently uh, celebrated her 100th birthday, uh, explained to me how she used to give the, the uh, take the one slice they were given uh, in the concentration camp and she would cut it in half. And normally the idea was you would eat one half when it was given to you and keep one half for the next day, otherwise you wouldn't survive the next day. But she had a young niece and she knew the young niece wouldn't be able to put away a half and keep it for the next day. So she kept, kept her niece alive and, um, and fed her and gave her the, the other half. So Mrs. Blumenthal lived on one half of a slice of bread. 
And what kept her alive, when I asked her what kept her alive, she said, what kept me alive was that I knew I had to keep my niece alive. That's what kept me alive. Having, doing a mitzvah, doing something that is valuable and worthwhile, not only consumes energy, doing something that is valuable and worthwhile actually energizes, it gives us energy and strength. Uh, and that's part of the lo al halechem levado yechiyadam. It's not only bread, not that one can live without any food, uh, although theoretically one can. Moshe lived on Hasinai for 40 days without food. Uh, but, but an ordinary person can live with less food if part of his or her nourishment is coming from non-physical forms. And what a form of, of weight control and dieting is to be able to get your nourishment not only from the calories, but also from the flavor and the fragrance and the appearance of food. And not only from food, but also from ideas and thoughts and beauty. And not only ideas and thoughts and beauty, but also from Torah. And with all these different sources of nourishment, one needs much less physical nourishment and is able to live in a way that is more healthy, both physically and spiritually.